Well, we're continuing in our Summer Sermons on the Mount series, going through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He, he gave a very famous sermon. Uh, no one really knows if it was just one time or if it was a few times because it's in a number of places in the Bible, and there's some differences in some of them. It could have been different times, could have been different perspectives. But uh, Jesus is teaching on all kinds of things. He's really trying to show us the difference between religion, keeping all the rules, dotting every I, crossing every T, and having that spiritual relationship with him, with God Almighty. And we have found ourselves today in Matthew five thirty-eight, starting in that verse. Jesus is talking about uh, an eye for an eye. He starts off that way. Let me read it to you. He says, you've heard it said... An eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Then he talks about loving your enemies. You've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Few passages of Scripture summarize Christian ethics more succinctly than today's text. It could also be said that few passages are more misunderstood. There are several recognizable phrases in this passage. Turn the other cheek, go the second mile, love your enemy. People who have never set foot inside of the church have probably heard these sayings before. But here's the question. What do those things really mean? How do they apply to our lives today, 2,000 years after they were spoken? Though Jesus is referring to laws and customs that were specific to his culture, his words do apply to us today, right where we live in the 21st century, because the desire for revenge is as much of an issue today as it was for those living in the first century. When someone does us wrong, when someone takes advantage of us or bullies us, we want to get even. Let's just go ahead and admit that right up front. We all want to act like Granny in the Beverly Hillbillies, okay? So today we're exploring a perfect alternative to revenge. Perfect alternative to revenge. As we begin looking at this passage, I want us to to kind of take a closer look at how these passages are misinterpreted. First of all, let's just go through some examples. It's going to help put these words into perspective. For example, Jesus said, don't resist an evil person. Don't resist an evil person. 
Does this mean that we should become completely passive and let others walk all over us? Should we do nothing to protect our families and ourselves? Should we never stand up for our rights? Of course not. When Jesus drove out the money changers, was he being passive? (laughs) I don't think so. When Paul demanded his rights as a Roman citizen after being on trial, was he being passive? When Paul and Jesus encouraged believers to confront those who were in sin in order to help them find forgiveness, they were encouraging us to be aggressive, not passive. In this context, the word resist actually means retaliate. Retaliate. He's talking about revenge, not self-preservation. Jesus isn't telling us to be weak and passive. He's telling us not to be vindictive. Another statement that can be misapplied is give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Well, does that mean that a Christian banker should never refuse a loan application no matter how bad the person's credit is? Does this mean you have to loan money to someone again and again even when you know they're never going to pay you back? Or every time you're approached by a panhandler on the street, should you give him your money? Well, it doesn't mean these things. The commandment doesn't relieve us of our obligations to be generous, but it's also our responsibility to be discerning, to know what to do when and what not to do when. Jesus also said, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that's where we're going to sit today. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It sounds impossible, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound impossible? Keith? Yep. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is. Okay, I will. (laughs) It's not impossible, though, because why would Jesus command us to do something that was impossible for us to do? He didn't command us to be all-powerful and all-knowing. These things are beyond our grasp. But he told us to be perfect, just as God is perfect. Now, watch this. The Greek word for perfect here is teleos. Teleos. It means to reach an intended end or completion. In other places in the Bible, it's translated mature. In other words, a person who is teleos is a person who fulfills the purposes they were created for. In the context of this passage, Jesus is saying, you can be perfect. You can fulfill your purpose in life. You can demonstrate your maturity as it grows by loving your enemies. It's one of the best ways. We are never more like God than when we love those who don't love us. Did you know that we were actually enemies of God? Enemies of God. I don't know anyone who would desire that, (laughs) to be an enemy of God. But Paul said, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. 
while we were in that place. That's why John says we love because he first loved us. We were not loving him as a race, as human beings. We were not loving, we rebelled against him. We were his enemy, but he loved us anyway. Being perfect in the context that Jesus mentions it here isn't attained through sinless perfection because that is impossible. The kind of perfection Jesus is referring to here is being perfect in love, loving our enemies. So today we're going to talk about how to do that, how to love your enemies. We're going to go through four things that can help us show love to enemies, that perfect alternative to revenge. First thing is this, don't respond to insults. I was thinking just a few minutes ago, I probably should have said, don't react. You know, there, there could be a response, there could be a good response, but let's don't react to insults. He says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other side. Jesus is talking much more than just physical abuse or physical violence because he specifies the right cheek, the right cheek. The only way a right-handed person, which is what most people are, and back then for sure, the only way a right-handed person can hit someone on the right cheek is by the back of the hand. Left hand, you're going to hit the left cheek. Right, you know, if you hit straight on, you're going to hit the left cheek. It's the back of the hand. According to the Jewish law, hitting someone with the back of your hand was twice as insulting as hitting them with the palm of your hand. Jesus said when that happens, don't return the insult. Don't retaliate. Jesus' point now, be careful, is not that we should let people physically abuse us and invite our opponent to give us a right hook after the left jab. That's not what this is about. His point is that we should refrain from trying to get even with someone who insults us. For virtually all of us, the latter happens much more often than the former. It's usually the insult, not the physical thing. With the exception of a couple playground disagreements, I've never really been hit in the face by anybody. But you better believe I've been insulted a number of times. And you know what? More times than I care to admit, I've gone out of my way to return that insult. Not very proud of that, especially after becoming a Christian. There was a scene in Seinfeld, George Costanza. He was insulted by a a co-worker during an office meeting. A few days later, he thought up an idea to have a comeback for his work partner. So he planned to ambush him at the next meeting. But uh, that didn't work out right because the co-worker started a new job and they moved him to Ohio. George flew to Ohio, orchestrated a meeting with the company's brass, and he set out to get back at his co-worker. Needless to say, that plan didn't work. You know how George, you know, nothing ever works out for him. It didn't work out. Now, we all laugh and it's kind of funny. But you know what? How many times have we done that? Have we fumed and fretted over an insult? We play it over and over again in our minds. We think about what we should have said. 
And whether we said it or even if we wanted to say it, it never does any good, does it? Never makes us feel better. It never resolves the problem, usually makes it worse. It never takes away the hurt. In fact, the longer we hold on to the idea of retaliation, the more that insult is going to hurt, the more damage it's going to do, the more it's going to get in the way. A few years ago when Tiger Woods won the Masters Tournament, Fuzzy Zeller responded with some racist remarks. They were kind of mean. Now, I understand locker room talk. You know, you, you jab each other and you do things like that, and it's, it's not always very nice, but I get that. I also get the competitive spirit, especially when you're talking about the kind of money these guys make. But Fuzzy received a great deal of maybe well-deserved criticism for his comments. But here's what Tiger said. We all make mistakes, and it's time to move on. Hmm. Tiger could have returned the insult, and the media would have loved it. Wow. What a fight. This is great. Get the reporters in there. But he refused to retaliate and said, he said, let's just move on. When you're insulted, that's the best thing you can do. That's why Solomon said a prudent man overlooks an insult. The apostle Peter said, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. What would you rather do? Get back that doesn't do any good or receive a blessing from God? It's a no-brainer, isn't it? When you're insulted, you can waste all your energy trying to think of ways to get even. Or you can choose the perfect alternative. You can be perfect. You can be like your heavenly father. And love your enemies. Here's the second thing. Do more than is required of you to make things right. Jesus said, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. In those days, a man typically wore an inner garment, a tunic, similar to a shirt. The outer garment was a cloak, similar to a coat. A man would probably own more than one tunic, one shirt, but probably only one coat. Therefore, in a legal dispute, a creditor could sue a man for his tunic, but not his cloak. This was an Old Testament law. It went like this. If you take your neighbor's coat as a pledge, return it to him by sunset, because his cloak, his coat, is the only covering he has for his body. What else will he sleep in? The only way a man could take your tunic from you is if it was a pledge, a security for a debt. So make sure we read these words correctly. He's saying if you have a debt that you haven't paid and you get sued as a result, do more than is legally required. Make the debt right. A man would pledge that tunic as security of the debt. And then he would pay the debt when it came due. The Bible says if you mess up that process and someone has to sue you, this is what Jesus is saying, then make it right. Do more than is required of you. 
In order to do this, you have to be willing to admit that you're wrong. You have to be willing to make restitution. Ever heard of a guy named Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Remember, he climbed up in the sycamore tree to see he was a short guy. He got radically saved, radically transformed by Jesus Christ. He said this, if I have cheated anyone out of anything, which he had, I will pay back four times the amount. He didn't have to do that. That's what he did, and that showed his radical change. We need to follow Zacchaeus' example, maybe not four times as much. When we offend someone and find ourselves to be in the wrong, we need to just do more than things require. Oh, I'm sorry. That's all it really requires. I'm sorry. I won't do that again. Maybe we need to do a little more than that because that disarms our enemies. There's a guy that was in a software business. He borrowed $90,000 from three individuals back in 86. He founded this new company. Uh, they got, these three guys expected their money back. He didn't do so well, so they kind of lost their money. Then in 92, the investors sued the man and won the judgment against him. He didn't have the money to pay back, so their lawsuit was futile until 1994, two years later, when he sold his company. According to the terms of the judgment, he had to pay back each investor about $40,000. But this man had a lot of money when he sold that company. So each investor received a check for more than twice that amount. In your situation, think of those you may have who may have something against you. It may not be about money. It may be about something you said, something you did. Maybe you took credit for some work you didn't do. Maybe you imposed on someone's time and took advantage of their kindness. Maybe you spread gossip about someone and tried to ruin their reputation. If you've wronged that person, Jesus is challenging you to make full restitution and then some. Do more than is required of you. It's a very humbling experience Much easier to love someone who has wronged you than to humble yourself before somebody that you've wronged and especially when you know they don't like you because of it. It's not easy, but it's holy. It's perfect. It's perfect. You'll be just like your heavenly father. Here's the third thing. Treat mistreaters with kindness. If someone forces you to go one mile, Jesus says, go with him two miles. Now, everyone knows the phrase, go the second mile. Jesus spoke these words in reference to a common custom in Roman-occupied lands. Roman law gave a soldier the right to force civilians to carry their pack one mile. Now, needless to say, that was a great inconvenience. It was really two miles. You had to come back. Imagine being forced to drop everything and go do this. But Jesus told his followers, when that happens, instead of just walking one mile, walk two. Carry his pack two miles. There's no greater way to show God's love 
than to be kind to someone who hasn't treated you with kindness. If you have a job, I guarantee you'll have an opportunity to practice this principle. (laughs) Your boss may try to bully you or sabotage your success. Maybe you'll be tempted to do the bare minimum to get by. I've seen many employees who are so resentful of their employers that they've gone to great lengths to calculate the very least amount of work they can do to prevent from getting fired, and that's all they're going to do. Your boss may be a bully, and the company you work for may be oppressive and insensitive, and at times it may seem that they exist to oppress you. That's probably not the case, but it may seem that way. When it happens, go the extra mile. Go out of your way to treat them with kindness. If they demand an extra hour, try giving them two. But there's a trick to it. In order to get the full effect, you need to do it in a great way, with a great attitude, cheerfully, enthusiastically. Will your boss notice? Maybe, maybe not. When you treat a mistreater with kindness, it may not change them, but it will change you. You'll be more like your heavenly father. Transformation. The goal of Cornerstone Christian Church. Transformation. One more thing. Number four, don't show favoritism. Jesus said, give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. It's interesting that Jesus included this verse along with the others to show how we should treat our enemies. He did it because in this context, that's how we need to hear it. Most of us are more willing to give something to our friends, aren't we? We're we're more likely to loan something to someone we like. But Jesus is saying that's not really enough. He's saying, don't be generous only with your friends, but help everyone you can. Mark McCormick is the author of What They Don't Teach You in Harvard Business School. He once said, all things being equal, people buy from friends. All things being unequal, people still buy from friends. Therefore, make friends. (laughs) That's the way it works in the business world most of the time, but Jesus is challenging us to go beyond that attitude, be generous with people we like as well as people we don't like. This principle applies to more than money. It applies to how you treat people in every single area of life. You may find at times that you have the opportunity to help someone who isn't part of your clique. Help them anyway. Maybe you will help somebody that's not so unfriendly to you, that's not so friendly to you. Help them anyway. Don't withhold your generosity. Help them when you can. Remember, Jesus is not commanding us to be irresponsible. He wants us to be responsible with our resources. He's commanding us to not be stingy with our resources. Not hold back when it's within our power to help. 
pastor of a church said that their policy was to give as much help as they could to people who were in need with food or money, things like that. Then they would sign them up to be part of a home cell group, the people that they helped, a home cell group. They'd encourage them to become fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. The pastor said, there are some in our church who would prefer if we would just give poor people money and send them on their way. But that wouldn't be the loving response. We try to help them become involved with our fellowship. It's a lot more work, but it's what God would want us to do. Jesus is telling us to be generous even with those who don't fully appreciate generosity. In doing so, we become what? Perfect. Like God. Jesus summarizes this teaching by saying this. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. And that means sons and daughters. The phrase, son or daughter of your father, is an idiom. It means that you may be like the Father in heaven. It means that you may be transformed into his image. Think about this. In whose image were you made? Answer. In God's image. What's so weird about being transformed into the image of God? We were made that way. And we're never more like our Father God when we love those who don't love us. When we refuse to retaliate, even if the other person is wrong. When we seek to make restitution for our own wrongs. When we respond to mistreatment with kindness. When we extend our generosity to all who need it. That's how we show his love. That's how we become perfect, like our Heavenly Father is perfect. We love like God does. Let's pray. God Almighty, this is goosebump scary stuff. And you know how we feel. You know where we struggle. But we ask you to help us. Jesus, you spoke these words. So by your Holy Spirit, would you give us the power to obey those words? Give us so much love in our hearts that we overflow, not just to those we love and like and people in our family, people in our neighborhoods, not just those, but to everybody we can possibly help. And we pray that you'd help us do that in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.